This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Saturday, February 24th, 2024. I'm Jared Halpert. It's primary day in South Carolina with former President Trump, a big time favorite against the state's former governor. She also lost the women vote against Donald Trump. She lost the millennial vote against President Trump. She lost seniors against President Trump. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It is primary day in South Carolina, Nikki Haley's home state. While former President Trump is favored to win, Haley insists she's in this for the long haul, at least through Super Tuesday. This race is far from over in terms of Haley dropping out, but Trump is all but guaranteed to be the Republican nominee and the results in South Carolina this weekend is probably gonna underscore that. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. South Carolina gets its say today in the Republican presidential primary. And if polls and former President Trump's predictions are right, it could be another setback for the state's former governor, Nikki Haley. Still, she says today is not make or break and she will be a candidate tomorrow. Look, I get it. In politics, the herd mentality is enormously strong. A lot of Republican politicians have surrendered to it. The pressure on them was way too much. They didn't want to be left out of the club. Of course, many of the same politicians who now publicly embrace Trump privately dread him. They know what a disaster he's been and will continue to be for our party. Haley has criticized suggestions she abandon her campaign and cede the Republican nomination before every voter cast a ballot. And so far, her campaign is still raising a lot of money, bringing in more than $16 million just last month. And next month, on March 5th, there is Super Tuesday. About a third of GOP delegates will be up for grabs. Still, South Carolina is home for Nikki Haley, a two-term governor who served in the legislature before that. She's never lost an election in the state. One of her senators, Republican Tim Scott, a Republican presidential contender last year himself, believes Haley's winning streak will come to an end today. He and I spoke Friday afternoon in between campaigning he's doing on behalf of the candidate he's endorsed, former President Trump. This is one of the more exciting primaries I've seen in my lifetime. President Trump certainly brings a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy into the concept of becoming the next president, frankly, most of us want four more years of Donald Trump for several reasons, but there's no doubt that this primary will be a blockbuster. Turnout is already higher than anticipated. And the good news is Republicans are coming out to support Donald Trump while the Haley camp, they're asking for Democrats and independents to actually join in voting in the Republican primary. I've never seen that before from a Republican candidate, but that just says how desperate she is and how high the stakes are. This is going to be a double digit, you know, I've said 20 points on uh, previously, but 
I'm being conservative. I would not be surprised if this is not a two-to-one turnout uh, type of victory. Let me talk to you a little bit about your your endorsement of uh, of Donald Trump because uh, you know I think some people were were kind of curious about how quickly you came out. Um, I imagine you know Nikki Haley really well. She was your governor. You guys worked together. What is it about Donald Trump that uh, led you to endorse him over uh, your former governor? Well, a couple of really important points. I do know both candidates really well. They have some things actually in common. But one of the points of distinction that really made it an easy choice for me to support Donald Trump is when I look from 2017 to 2020, I look at the legislative priorities that moves America forward. Donald Trump said yes every time I gave him a call. When it came down to opportunity zones becoming law, providing over $75 billion to the poorest communities in this country. The person that worked with me the most was Donald Trump. He signed the legislation. When it came to the TCJA, the largest tax cut in American history, larger than even Ronald Reagan, who actually went to the mat with us to get that done? I wrote the domestic side of that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but it was President Trump that helped us get that accomplished. And then at the signing He called me up to the front and gave me an opportunity to speak. The person, time after time after time, who has shown me the kind of deference and opportunity to showcase our joint work, none other than Donald Trump. My experience with Nikki Haley on the debate stage was exactly the opposite. And so I will say without any question, it wasn't so much a vote against Nikki Haley, but it was without question a strong endorsement for Donald Trump. He's been good for America. He's been good for my home state. And he's been good to me. There was a time, though, you thought maybe you could do a better job than him, right? No question. I thought America would benefit from an optimistic, positive Mm -hmm. message. And the president, Trump and I spoke while I was even running for president. And he welcomed the message that I brought to the American people. I still believe, without any question, America needs an injection of enthusiasm, optimism, and unity. And what President Trump said just a few days ago was that success begets success. In other words, one of the fastest ways for us to unify the country is to make sure that people have more money in their pockets, to make sure that inflation comes down, to make sure that crime and chaos are things of the past and law and order is the thing of the future. That kind of reaction to my run for president is another strong example of why I believe in Donald Trump. Let me talk a little bit about some of the red flags, obviously, that that, um, Ambassador Haley, Governor Haley has put up. She argues that it is time for a change uh, in leadership, a new generation. She has made the argument that you're going to have an election if it is Biden versus Trump that is widely unpopular at the top of the ticket. Do you share any of those concerns? I don't. The one thing I am puzzled by is how does a candidate make progress by insulting all the seniors who are going to vote in the primary. I don't know how effective that strategy is to tell people just because they're over the age of 60 or 70 that you're too old and and incompetent just because of your age. I've had the great pleasure of spending several hours with Donald Trump. And the one thing I can tell you is he reminds me more of a 40-year-old than a 50-year-old. Uh, He has incredible energy. If you sit with him just for an hour, you walk away and ask yourself, how does he have so much energy? 
And I will say without any question, President Trump is up for the task, not for this year, not just next year, but for four more years. And I do not share any of her strong opinions about seniors declining simply because of their age. I've seen example after example. As a matter of fact, my mama just turned, uh, y'all forgive me for saying it, 80 years old recently, and she is sharp as a tack. So I have lots of people in my life who I respect and love and appreciate. They're sharp as they were 30 years ago. Say a lot of us had the, the pleasure of uh, being introduced to your uh, to your uh, mom on on the national stage. I think a lot of our listeners yeah. uh, will, will remember those moments. Let me move down yes. the list though, because um, uh, you know the other question surrounding uh, former President Trump is obviously uh, the legal side of it. These trials that are coming up, one of them in New York, um, on track to, to start next month. Um, the argument has been made that, that he will be a distracted candidate, that too many resources will be used for, for legal defense and won't be enough of attention on sort of down ballot races. Um, what do you, you say to some of those criticisms and concerns? Well, I believe in the Trump coattails, number one. Here's what we saw in 2016. We saw uh, us winning, uh, the Republican Party winning back the majority in the House, the Senate, uh, and, and, hold, and, and getting the White House as well. So we saw the kind of monumental 2018 as, as well. We saw the kind of monumental success that was shocking over the four years that we had Donald Trump at the top of our ticket. So the one thing we know without any question is that he draws a lot of attention, no doubt about it. And the criticism that he's receiving right now, most people would wilt. He gets stronger and stronger under the pressure. That's the kind of leader we want running our country. And that's the kind of person we believe will restore confidence around the globe. We've lost that because of Joe Biden's weakness. He, we've lost that because of his inability to do his job. We see that case in point in Afghanistan with the botched withdrawal. We see that with a war in Ukraine. Clearly, we see that in the conflict in the Middle East, the aggression in the Indo-Pacific. We didn't have any of that under Trump. So what I believe is that the mass media, the liberals, the progressives, governors, mayors, DAs, state attorneys, they seem to be weaponizing the law, creating a two-tiered system where they hunt Republicans while they protect Democrats. Do you worry about a conviction, though? I don't. Honestly, uh, what I worry about is the long-term negative impact of using and weaponizing the legal system against your political opponents. That should be concerning not just to those in politics, but to every single everyday American who's working very hard, paycheck to paycheck, wondering if America will remain the greatest, strongest, and fairest country on the planet. If you will weaponize the justice system, be it the federal or state, against your political opponents, They'll come after you, too. If the results um, in, in this primary are what you and, and many polls predict they will be, and it is um, a pretty resounding victory for Trump, what should be the next step for Nikki Haley? She should write a letter to all of her supporters telling us, that she, telling them that she has resigned and she has resigned herself, that she is not the person for the job, that she will support Donald Trump. And she should list the reasons why. 
she should say without question, with great clarity, that America is better off with Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. That millennials deserve the right to become first-time homeowners. And under Joe Biden, that's not happening. But under Donald Trump with 2% inflation, a 30-year mortgage was 3%. Instead of having chaos and crime in the streets under Donald Trump, you have law and order. Nikki Haley should say, having a president who will protect your social security like Donald Trump is the right direction for America. I do not expect her to say these things, but it would be the truth and it would galvanize our country, not our party, but our country but, behind the next president of the United States. But what's wrong with staying in the race? She, she's still raising money. Her, her campaign is still getting contributions. She is picking up uh, some delegates and she has made the case that we shouldn't have in the Republican Party or either party a, a coronation. That, that There needs to be an alternative, a choice for voters. What's wrong with that? Well, the voters have spoken. In Iowa, they were loud and clear, the largest margin in the history of the state. In New Hampshire, where they invited independents and Democrats, she had the endorsement of the state's governor, and she still lost by double digits. Jared, she didn't just lose by double digits. She also lost the women vote against Donald Trump. She lost the millennial vote against President Trump. She lost seniors against President Trump. In Las Vegas, she lost uh, none of the above. So the question we should ask ourselves is, is this a coordination process? And the answer is clearly no. The people have spoken. And after we speak in here in South Carolina, the message should be heard, but it will be heard around the country. And by March the 19th, I predict that President Trump will have enough delegates to be our nominee, and we should go ahead and turn our attention towards Joe Biden. That would certainly, you know, close the door once, once you amass those delegates. Let me finish with this. Earlier this week, uh, the former president really was singing your praises when he was asked a question about a potential uh, shortlist for running mates. I think you're on it, Senator. What are your uh, is that a job you're interested in? Well, it certainly is a high compliment <laughs> to be considered for any part of the ticket. I thank God almighty that I live in a country where a kid growing up in a single parent household, mired in poverty, uncertain about his future, could one day rise to the place where he's even considered in the conversation for president or vice president. But that's not the mission today. The only mission today, Jared, should be making sure that we secure for the American people four more years of low inflation, low crime, high enthusiasm, but low unemployment. That requires Donald Trump. So you haven't, you haven't given him any advice on picking a running mate? The only advice I've given him was I'm not going to ask him for anything. I was very clear before I endorsed him mm -hmm. that I was not endorsing him in a quid pro quo. There is no theory of reciprocity. My goal is to make sure America is stronger. I believe he is the candidate to get that done. I hope you can't blame me for at least trying on those last couple uh, Jared, of questions. Jared, you're a good man. I, I love your, I love your uh, enthusiasm and your energy. <laughs> Listen, see if I could break a little bit of news on, on the podcast, but I will let you, sir, get back to the campaign trail. Uh, Senator Tim Scott, I always appreciate uh, your enthusiasm for the process and what you bring to the conversation. And I thank you for your time, sir. Yes, sir. Have a great day.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today is voting day in South Carolina. Can Nikki Haley beat former President Trump in her home state where she was once governor? The polling data heading into today strongly favored former President Trump, but Haley staying in the race. I need to show that I'm stronger in South Carolina than New Hampshire. Does that have to be a win? I don't think that necessarily has to be a win, but it certainly has to be better than what I did in New Hampshire, and it certainly has to be close. When asked on Fox's America's Newsroom this week if she sees herself as an insurance policy, she said she does see herself as an alternative. Look, he's already had, I think, three verdicts against him now, over half a billion dollars he's going to have to pay. All he talks about is these court cases. He's not talking about the American people. And it's a problem. He's going to be in court March, April, May, and June. By his own words, he's going to be spending more time in a courtroom than he will on the campaign trail. Now, the super PAC backing her is encouraging independents and even Democrats to vote for her. Still, some voters in the state who, like Haley, told Fox and Friends Friday they don't see it happening for her. I think Nikki Haley is incredible. I think she would be an amazing president, but, you know, I'm realistic, so I, uh, I do think Trump's going to win. All right. What about you, ma'am? Um, I'm the same way. I, uh, I would vote for Nikki Haley. I am going to vote for her, but realistically Trump. But she's, she's going to be the first female president. But it's, it's just going to take time for right now. But former President Trump told the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville Thursday night. Nikki Haley is losing to me. It looks like she's going to lose by 25 or 30 points. That's a lot. She's governor, but people don't like her too much. And she's hurting the party. Now, South Carolina does not have registration by party, and the presidential primaries are open to all voters. South Carolina, Jess, historically is the state that makes or breaks presidential candidates. Josh Grossauer is Fox News Radio's political analyst. But this year, uh, you know, it, 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 I don't I don't think it's really going to have a whole lot of impact other than knowing what we already know, which is that Trump is is the all but uh, expected Republican presidential nominee. And, you know, this could have been Nikki Haley's last stand uh, in her home state of South Carolina. If the polls are anything close to accurate, she's headed for a pretty uh, significant defeat in her home state. Usually that would be the kind of result that would prompt the candidate to get out of the race. But as she announced this week in Greenville in South Carolina, she's planning to take this race to the finish or at least into Super Tuesday. Uh, And she's giving more traditional conservatives, more traditional Republicans a chance to kind of showcase a protest vote against Donald Trump. So Mm. this race is far from over in terms of Haley dropping out, but Trump is all but guaranteed to be the Republican nominee and the results in South Carolina this weekend is probably going to underscore that. The super PAC that backs Nikki Haley, they've been targeting potential Democratic voters, sending out mailers, telling people like, hey, if you didn't vote in the the Democratic primary earlier this month, you can participate in Saturday's primary, right? That's how it works. It's an open primary. There's no voter registration in the state. Um, this, This sort of dovetails, fits into the theme of Haley's campaign, right, of reaching out to um, 
non-based Republican voters who who can participate in in a vote like in a state that has an open primary or semi-open primary. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina is an open primary, so Haley is courting uh, Democrats uh, to who didn't participate in in the Democratic primary a couple weeks ago to vote. But look, that, that's going to be a very very small percentage of the overall turnout. Uh, ultimately, she's you know, for her to make any real inroads, she's going to have to expand her support among rank and file Republicans. And one of the big stories, Jess, about about this primary is that she just hasn't gotten endorsements or support from even people who have been her her supporters in in, in the past. The people who, she, frankly, she she helped Nancy Mace, a congresswoman, you know, who's getting a lot of got a lot of attention lately out in Charleston. Uh, she helped her win her reelection. She uh, Mace was opposed by a Trump-backed challenger, and Haley helped her defeat that candidate in, in 2022. And yet Mace has campaigned against Haley, has endorsed Trump, and has sort of stuck the knife in her, her former ally and supporter's uh, face. Um, you know, you have other Republicans who she's worked with, Tim Scott, probably the most prominent uh, lawmaker who she appointed to the Senate and ran, and then he ran against her in the presidential primary. He's been one of Trump's leading surrogates these last couple of weeks in South Carolina. Uh, so she just doesn't have the infrastructure, doesn't have the same degree of uh, loyalty that she did when she was governor. And that's been a factor in her uh, showing in the, her home state. And Josh, even with all this, even with this discussion that we've had so far, right, she still raked in what, nearly 10 million in contributions to her campaign in January. The super PAC that backs her got nearly 6 million. Um, the Wall Street Journal was saying this is thanks almost entirely to donations of 100,000 or more. Um, venture capital business leaders were among the most generous, as they put it. She's pointing to grassroots donors, the 265,000 people she says who donated less than $200. Um, but the coming from the business community to have so much money coming out of wall street and venture capitalists and whatnot what are what are they seeing are they seeing what she claims to be this sort of long shot alternative in the event that trump is wrapped up in court cases yeah well there, i think there are a couple explanations one, one is some people may actually want uh someone like Haley to uh, attack Trump, and and they, they may end up not wanting Trump to win the presidency. So she may be getting supporters from people who were in the anti-Trump camp. In fact, she's appealing more and more to the kind of Chris Christie constituency. If you remember back in the earlier days of the primary, it was Chris Christie who was running as the outspoken anti-Trump Republican, whereas Haley was much more running as a conventional conservative who just disagreed with Trump on, on a number of issues. But now she's much more the the um the candidate of the anti-Trump crowd. So some of those donors are anti-Trump. Some of them, um, frankly, I think it's about policy. Foreign policy is a big issue. Uh, you heard about Trump's comments, his lack of uh, interest in, in, in Navalny's death, his his murder by by Putin. Uh, and and then there's a lot of disagreement when it comes to foreign policy, um, especially among um, a lot of a lot of the you know Rep Republican uh, some of the donors, some of the people who are at the the top of the party. So that is a factor. Uh, they, they want Haley to keep keep those issues front and center, even if she's not going to win the nomination. Um, so there, there are a lot of lot of issues at play. Ultimately, donors, though, don't 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 equal voters. It's much more important right. to have, you need to have money to go on. But you need voters to, to win a, a primary. And Haley so far hasn't shown she's able to win a primary and win over a majority of Republican uh, primary voters. Let me get your thoughts on South Carolina 
Republican primary voters, that electorate, I was on with the host of a South Carolina um, radio program Friday at WFRK in Florence. He was saying the national media has not paid enough attention to this idea that hundreds of thousands of people have moved to the state in recent years, that the electorate isn't the same. He said it's, and I'm quoting, less Jesus-y. And he thinks these are voters um, who are less likely to be familiar with Nikki Haley, obviously, if they didn't you know, weren't there while she was governor, and that they might be more inclined to vote for Trump, the Republicans among them at least. What do we know about this current crop of South Carolina Republican voters and how different it may be? Yeah, you know, I don't think this is a matter of, of like new South Carolina. South Carolina is one of the faster growing states. So yeah, there yeah. is a demographic change, uh, or at least a, 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 a people who are not from the South originally uh, moving into, into South Carolina, moving to Charleston, to Greenville. Um, but I don't think that's the difference. Uh, like, I, you know, frankly, you would think if there were more people who were outside the state uh, who who maybe were more moderate, a lot of these voters are moving to places like, uh, you know, Mount Pleasant and in the, in the, right outside of Charleston, and they're less conservative. So you would think that Haley actually could have more opportunity with those types of voters, uh, at least in theory, rather than the old South conservatives that, that are perhaps uh, more inclined to Donald Trump. But the reality is that that everyone, you know, it, it, Trump is dominated among om- almost every slice of Republican voter. And and Haley is only really making inroads with, you know, anti-Trump voters, moderates. And, and then she's been trying to win over independents and some Democrats to participate in the primary. But that's not a, a formula for victory for the Republican presidential nomination. So, I, you know, I don't think there's a huge difference between people who are uh, coming into South Carolina from other states snowbirds, if you will, uh, and, and sort of the traditional Old South uh, voters. But if anything, those voters tend who are moving into South Carolina are actually more Democratic uh, in Charleston. Actually, Charleston's becoming a much more competitive political uh, area because there are more Democrats out there. So I, I'm not sure if they're as pro-Trump um, or if there's any real difference in how Republicans among them uh, view the, the Republican presidential primary. Josh, let, let's talk a little bit about Trump. Um, while Nikki Haley since New Hampshire has been to many places, um, not just South Carolina campaigning, but she's been to California and um, and Texas, former President Trump has, has spoken um, at rallies in South Carolina, but also outside of courtrooms, outside of Mar-a-Lago. There have been a number of legal uh, wranglings, if you will, um, the, the, there's been a judgment in the New York civil fraud trial. The Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court heard the, the case of Colorado trying to remove him from the ballot. Um, federal appeals court said he doesn't have immunity in the January 6th case. He's asking the Supreme Court to look into that ruling. And we heard from the DA in the Georgia case, um, over, uh, allegations of a conflict of interest because of a relationship there. All, all of this happening in the background. And yet, when we hear from the former president, he does say, sure, yes, these legal issues he thinks are a form of election interference, but he finds a way to sort of pivot and talk about other things, right? The border, the economy, Russia and Israel, maybe not in detail, but he still manages to campaign. Well, yeah, I mean, look, the legal issues are, I don't think are helping him, but they're not hurting him as much as I think a lot, at least in a general election, as much as a lot of uh, uh, Democrats would like it. To, to be the case. So you look at the polls, Trump is still leading by the same margin he was, you know, a few months ago before before these rulings were handed out. Um, and look, I tr- you know, tr- Trump, Trump, is, I mean, the, 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 the there's a Trump, there's a cult of personality, there's a sort of a phenomenon that Trump is sort of got his floor among voter, you know, he's got his ceiling. 
And um, it's not they're not a whole lot of persuadables that are going to be out there in this general election if it's between Trump and Biden. And I don't think save a, a conviction. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're actually seeing some of the, the dates delayed in, in the most significant right. case. So I, I, I'm very dubious that this is going to be an election that's won in the courtroom, uh, that we'll be spending a lot of time focusing on all these legal machinations. Trump is probably going to be uh, spending as much time defending himself um, from some of these legal proceedings down the road. But voters have made up their minds, and I'm not sure if I'm, the, even in a general election, how many persuadable voters are left. We, we do have people that are made up, made up their mind both ways, and, and, and this is just about confirmation of their own preconceived notions about where you know, Trump's guilt or innocence. Okay, Josh, finally, before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about President Biden as of late. He's been campaigning a bit as well and going to fundraisers. Uh, he was asked this week before heading out to California if he was going out to California, um, if, if it was about coming up with a plan B for 2024, he was asked, does Gavin, meaning the governor, need to stand by? He laughed all of that off. I imagine laughing it off is, is a better response than when he appeared somewhat angry at the Robert Herr report that painted him as this like forgetful old man. Was that sort of, I guess, from a messaging standpoint, the, maybe the right reaction to have one of sort of being, you know, uh, uh, having some sort of uh, comic relief at, at these questions now? Well, I mean, Biden needs to show that he's going to be able to get out there and run a full-fledged campaign to, to, to at least tamp down on the widespread concerns that he's not old, uh, he's not young enough, he's not uh, able enough to serve out another four years at his, at his age. So, um, you know, I, I think he's trying to do that. He's been in California, did it. Uh, you know, he had the very uh, important photo op with Navalny's wife and daughter in California the, the, this week. Yeah. I think that was a good moment. Um, he, he needs to be, you know, he spoke very, very tough on, on, on Vladimir Putin. And, and I think there need to be more moments like that. That, 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 that those are winning. Those are important, you know, foreign policy arguments that he's going to be dealing with in, in, the, in, the, in the months to come. But it, it, rhetorically, it, it sets a it's a powerful message for for his leadership. Um, and that is what he needs to do. He needs to show that he is in charge. He needs to show that he can give an effective speech and he, he needs to make sure that the public sees that. Um, so I think they're trying to kind of get closer to that point. But the reality is when you're 81 years old, uh, there are some limitations and, and that you can't spin that away. You can't totally change the reality of, of Biden's age. And finally, Josh, any political implications for saying this group of Republicans in the House is worse than Strom Thurmond. Uh, Tim Scott said that comment was ridiculous. He said that it was essentially calling all Republicans racist. Speaker Johnson called it outrageous. If you have differences um, and those make you really angry, those differences, okay, but but a Strom Thurmond reference feels feels like, you know, fighting words. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you're going to see more more attacks, more back and forth. Uh, of that nature as we get closer to the, the November election. And as we, you know, it looks like we're having the Biden-Trump rematch. So it's going to get, I mean, that that, that is, no, no, the Biden and Trump are dealing with low low negatives, low favorability ratings. They're going to have to make the other uh, side seem even worse than, than, than people view them. And you're going to hear a lot of rhetoric like that. It may be below the belt, but um, that that's going to be the norm in politics in 2024. Josh Krasar, our Fox News Radio political analyst. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks, Jess. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. 
Two years after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, the war is grinding on and U.S. military assistance is in doubt. We sit down with Ukraine's ambassador to the United States for a conversation about her country's war effort, the strategy in this third year of war, and her message to American lawmakers and taxpayers. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.